0: Hello, Toby Hedock here. We're counting down to 100 and it's December, so here's a festively-themed Who's Round. This is, this is a, I've travelled far and wide to do this podcast and uh, I'm now at the flat of somebody who lives about nine minutes walk from where I do. So, uh, But by a a glorious coincidence, I've been introduced to somebody who's worked uh, on a very special uh, assignment on Doctor Who, so I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who.
1: Hi, uh, my name's Andy Goddard, and I directed The Next Doctor, which was the Christmas special in 2008.
0: But that had come, hadn't it, from your involvement with, with Torchwood. And I remember, actually, re- I read your name on the credits um, because the opening of your first episode of Torchwood is extraordinarily striking when you've got an abandoned car. Well, oh, yeah. a, a broken-down car, you've got that song, What's That Coming Over a Hill? Is It A Monster? And it's, and it's that old um, story about the banging on the top of the car yeah. that you used to tell at school at night or whatever. So that was, that was quite a calling card, your first episode of
1: Torchwood. Countryside. It was brilliant. It was one of the best things, you know, sort of career-wise, doing Torchwood was sort of turning a corner, really. Um, it's interesting, because I did about two years on Torchwood, um, which kind of led to, to, to the Doctor Who gig. And I remember Julie Gardner, the exec on Doctor Who, pulling me out of the edit. And I would pitched for a Doctor Who, having done about four episodes of Torchwood. And um, she sort of said there were no more spots left, but there was the Christmas special, you know, saying it like it was the wooden spoon or something but I was like. <laughs> No, you know, I bite your hand off. So that's why I got it, and um, she wouldn't tell me anything—just four words. She said, "Cyberman in the snow." That was all she would say. Um, Which just bells and whistles went off in my head, and I was really excited. Um, And yeah, it all came from Torchwood, and I think the difference between Torchwood and Doctor Who is obviously it's got an older demographic, slightly older demographic. It was a kind of we always sort of compared it to like the Beatles and the Stones, and Torchwood was very much the Stones. It was more of a, I think, for a director, there was a sense of from my experience anyway, it was more of a kind of lab test to kind of try things out. Um, it was more sort of an elbow room to kind of um, experiment, I guess, and explore. And it uh, and because it was like a gang show, you know, Doctor Who was more of a, a star vehicle with David. I mean, obviously there's John Barrowman, but it was like an ensemble kind of gang show element to it. And I think that led to its kind of central dynamic And it did have this kind of zesty, youthful kind of energy to it. Um, and it was, there was something about torture that felt like the run to the letter. It was like the kind of, the wayward kid brother compared mm-hmm. to, to Doctor Who. Um, and when you, when you cross over into Doctor Who, you, you can very much feel that demarcation. They're very different shows to work on, you know, in, in brilliant ways. Um, but yeah, it was a calling card. And I think what was great about, I think it was Chris Chibnall who, who wrote uh, a lot of the Torchwoods. The idea behind it, I think, was you have all those kind of Not cliches, but kind of hallmarks of horror, you know, like The Hills of Eyes or, you know, like The the Cabin in the Woods, um, like what you're referring to, you know, the the knocking on the car roof, that kind of urban, a lot of urban myths, uh, uh, which have been, there's always those kind of benchmark films like Texas Chainsaw or The Hills of Eyes, which a lot of sort of the younger generation may not have seen. So it was almost like we were doing riffs on those kind of things for a generation who perhaps hadn't seen those movies. You know so it was it was a way of sort of doffing your cap a little bit of homage, but trying to do something um, original where possible uh, and it was great it was great to do horror sort of, on television you know.
0: Yeah. And you've got, I mean, you've got the, you know, we, a lot of the people listening to this come from, you know, watching Doctor Who back in the day as it was, which was multi-camera set up in a studio, you know, countryside is by its very nature set. You're suddenly your prey to the elements and it's much more of a, television seems to get outdoors a lot more now than it did back in the day. And that must bring with it its own problems.
1: It did. I mean, I I love that episode purely for that reason, because I do prefer shooting on location to studio. Um, and I really gravitated towards that story of I read it because I thought, great, we're, we're getting out. We're getting out of not just the studio, but, I mean, was great to shoot in, but it was just the idea of a whole new canvas that had been explored in the show, just getting out into the wilds of Wales. Um, I remember this, yeah, it was really... I can't remember when we shot it. I think it was early in the air. I mean, it was really cold, really windy. I mean, there's a lot of... If you look really closely, there's a lot... Don't look too closely at um, Toshiko's hair in the wind. I just remember that being... <laughs> continuity nightmare to cut um but i think i think that episode works primarily i, th- I think it was a great script it's fun to do but also i think the two things that really made it for me one owen teal's performance uh, as the, the main antagonist and the locations i think that, and we actually the main sort of um that kind of ghost town that we sort of filmed them up in the welsh hills it was um it's in the brecon beacons we shot it and it was um I think it's like an old kind of... The Scottish word is like a bothy, but it, it was... I don't know what they call it in Wales, but it was like a kind of really basic, basic kind of hostel for mountaineers and backpackers. That was... I mean, it's just like a hollow shell of like a row of houses. I think they may have been... I'm not sure if they'd been miners' cottages way back in the day, but they, they'd they been something back in the day, but it's just like a husk of a building. And it is... It was just great. It was just, um, you know... Obviously using a lot of natural light when we filmed uh, a lot of steady Steadicam. Uh, it was it was great. It just kind of... Uh, I remember I had a sort of spaghetti western element to it. There's a lot of, you know, people standing on hilltops, backlit looking <laughs> <laughs> moody and interesting. And yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, um, uh, and it was my first episode I did. I think it's my favourite of, of the six that I did. Um, and it, it's that fun thing of, coming in to a show on the ground floor on the first series when there's still a sense of discovering what it is you know very much a collaboration you know um yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm really fond of that episode. Well, something you said
0: early on that, that, that chimed with me because as an actor one always feels slightly powerless and you think of directors because the directors call the shots of being the person that's in charge because you generally have a say-so on everything and yet you say you had to pitch for the job. So tell me about that because you, you never think about that from sort of my side of, of the fences. Of course, you have to go out there and get work. So how, how, how do you pitch for, for, for an episode? And how do you get yourself in that, that position?
1: Um, well, I have an agent. Um, I have two agents now, uh, one in the US, one in the UK. At that time I had, I had one agent. Um, and basically you you get put up for jobs, I guess. That's how it works, I guess. You know, there is a, a brace of work out there. Uh, your agent has his or her ear to the ground and they put you up for things. Sometimes they're approached. Um, I think that the bigger your resume gets, people say, oh, I see Andy did X, Y and Z. We'd be interested in talking to him. That's kind of how it works. Sometimes there are things that I'm very heat-seeking about. And so I'd love to do that, you know. Um, you know, Peter Capaldi's The New Doctor would be the good example. You know, yeah. probably one of many who's jostling the queue who would love a shot at that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it would be impossible without an agent just the way the industry works, you know. I mean, it's 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 very rare that you would just get offered something. There's normally mm-hmm. a conversation that takes place at some point. So
0: what do you do? You, you say, well, I would shoot this like this. I would use a lot of steady cam or I would, you know... Yeah, I
1: remember... I remember now, it's all coming it's all come back to me. I was working on Wire in the Blood, uh, Robson Green. Uh, and at the, I was in Newcastle. I was in a hotel in Newcastle. And I remember I was reading what became the very first tortured script of the, the pilot episode. Um... I remember reading that. So, like, at the time of the interview, I wouldn't have read Countryside. It perhaps hadn't even been written, you know. So, um, um, yeah, that normally you, you, they, they talk about what you've done. And they, I suppose, with, with, with television, I think there's probably a sort of... Um, uh, the, the view of a director, I think, to a lot of people, is like some kind of auteur. I think that may be true in film but it, it's not true in television. I think television um, t- doesn't work like that. Television, um, you know, it's much more collaboration. I think there is a central vision at work. I think that vision is prim- primarily the showrunner, writer, you know, um, a Russell T Davis, a Chris Chibble, you know, a Paul Abbott or a Julian Fellows, whoever that person is. I think that's the voice, that's the vision. Uh, I suppose there's a difference between you're sort of facilitating that vision and everyone who's working towards that vision. I suppose there's a difference between sort of catering to an existing audience rather than creating one yourself, if that makes sense. um, But that said, you are the person who on the day decides where the camera goes. And and yet even then, you know, I, I do enjoy working as a team and I think if you're a bit of a Napoleon and the more dictatorial you are, I think the less you get out of people. And I think I tend to have more of an open door policy. And I think, you know, you're surrounded by so many, so many talented people, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think, um, it'd be remiss not to kind of draw on that. And it's using people's strengths, you know, I mean, I come from a kind of script slash performance kind of place. That's, you know, I think all the disciplines are really, really, really important. But I think, Ultimately, it comes down to script and performance, um, and so I rely on people who may be more, you know, um, technical than myself, you know, um, and I enjoy that process. I enjoy the sort of the team spirit and I enjoy the sort of it's like a social side of everybody working together towards one common goal. And then you have the edit, which is a much more sort of lonely affair of mm. two men in a dark room, <laughs> usually in Soho. Um, or Cardiff, Cardiff in a porter cabin. cabin um, But yeah, it's, uh, you, it's more, yeah, you sort of pitch for, I suppose you, you do sometimes pitch, uh, you, you, you describe the way you work and the way you like to work. You're often asked about the kind of television you watch. You're kind of asked about well, what the last two or three great things you've seen, whether it's film or television. Um... It's ultimately, it sounds a cliche, but it does boil down to, um, obviously experience has a lot to do with it, but it just boils down to how you get on with people Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, you just have to gel and you know, the, you're working on something that's much bigger than you and you've just got to be part of that wonderful machine, you know, and you're playing a very, very, very key role in it, um, but you have to be part of that family
0: as you say you can't come from script and performance so what's what's your what was your background that led you to television
1: my background was um, I'm an art school dropout basically I always knew what i'd really 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 want to do but maybe it's just that kind of that british disease of never kind of admitting what you really want to do of saying I want to be a director sounds quite lofty and how on earth do you go about it but um I went to film school I studied at napier between ninety two and ninety six was just a Scotland was just sort of hot at that time. There's a spotlight on Scotland. Uh, There's a scheme called Tartan Shorts, of course, the very first one being Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Peter (laughs) Cavalty, whatever happened to him. Uh, And that won an Oscar. Um, So there was that film scheme, and then a couple of tiers below it, there was a scheme called Prime Cuts, which only ran for a couple of years. It's now sadly defunct. There's a big thing in the papers at that time about girl gangs. That was a big thing in Scotland at that time, sort of Glasgow and small-town Scotland. And I wrote a, a script like a kind of battle of the sexes story between girls and boys um, and basically I sent it into this scheme prime cuts, it got shortlisted um, long story short, it made the final five or six, I had to go for an interview um, they wanted to make it but they didn't want me to direct it, because I hadn't directed anything, but they liked the script and um, I had to really, I remember I had to really sort of campaign for that it was called Little Sisters, um was funded by Scottish Screen, um, and we filmed it in a little town called Port Seton, which is just outside um, Edinburgh, a little coastal town. Um, shot on sixteen mil, it's a raggedy, rough around the edges short. Um, but I got nominated for a BAFTA, and it was really, it was one of those kind of first time sort of luck kind of stories. It, it went all the way. I got nominated for a BAFTA. I was working in a sandwich shop at the time, and I had <laughs> to get, I, I had to ask for a day off. I said, Why do you want the day off? I said, Because I have to go to the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they just thought I was taking the piss. I mean, they knew I'd be to film school and stuff, but um, I had to get two days off. I hired my moss bros suit, I wore a kilt, went down. Um, and uh, it was really bizarre. And, and this puts it in context. Um, uh, among the nominees around the table that I was at, there was like the short film table, and there was me and Lynn Ramsey and somebody called Joe Wright, I don't know what happened <laughs> to So I, you know, I look back and think, wow, I was I was in good company. Yeah. Um, and it was strange, because it was really sort of, you know, when you, I think it's probably the same for actors, you know, but when you're trying to sort of, you know, like you, you know you yourself, but just when you're trying to sort of get a foothold in an industry that is kind of, I'm trying to do a job, I guess, to be a creative, if you want to say that, it's kind of, Trying to get your first break, and that it's so so schizophrenic. It, it's you know, you know, on the Monday I was mixing up big tubs of tuna mayonnaise and, and working in the sandwich shop. You know, on the Tuesday evening, I was in the queue to the toilets with you know Kevin Spacey, Hugh Grant, Stephen <laughs> Fry, you know Julia Roberts was wandering about, and it was just really sort of. And then on the Thursday I'm back at the sandwich shop, and that's just the way it is, you know. And it's kind of it's exciting but at the same time it is like having a carrot dangled in front of you and, and you think, you know, this exciting world you want to be part of, um, but you've just got to work that bit harder. And um, I kind of, I guess I staggered a bit, and it was just, I had a choice really. It was just, I either sort of plough on, I trying to sort of break into film, but with each year I persevere, I'm just not working. And the great thing about television, which I came to learn is, the fact that it's immediate, it's ready-made and it's there and, you know, you, you, can, you can be on a floor tomorrow and work with actors. And I was offered a kids' TV show um, and I was sort of... I'll be honest, you know, I was, I was cautious about doing it. But um, I eventually learned that any... And I would say this to anyone who's wanted to go into directing, any situation where you've got a group of actors and a camera can never be a bad experience, you know. You're going to learn something from it. You know, even if... <coughs> you know, the camera is a cheap camera from some video access company and the actors are non-actors. It's still going to be a productive experience. You're still gonna, it's, it's better doing that than not doing it, you know, in terms of just learning from your mistakes, working out your limitations. Uh, and so I did, I did um, Kiss TV for a couple of years at BBC Scotland. And it was a really good thing to do. It, it really, uh, I was working um, and you just learn to sort of it taught you not to be so precious about things and it taught you to problem solve quickly on the floor. And I guess what was good about it is, it was just a kind of, you know, because God forbid actually that I had made a of a feature at that time, you know, because mm. it probably would have been a dog's dinner because, you know, you're full of vim and vigor, but you haven't quite got the experience. And so it was just a good testing ground to do that. And then slowly over the years, you know, you kind of, you're in your stripes and you do like a lot of directors, I'm sure. I did, you know, the cop shows and the medical shows, there's almost like a brace of usual suspects that you have to mm. do, it's like, I've done the bill, and you know, I've got the stripes, yeah. and you know, it's, and I think if you can do those shows, people know that you can work under the pressures of television, and there are certain shows that have a reputation, you know, for being, you know, um, having really, really tight schedules, and, 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 you know, directors really have to really work hard and fast and cut their cloth, and... So I guess so I guess you really you go through those shows and then you get to a point where you, you know you're fortunate enough to maybe do stuff that is a little bit more bespoke is a little bit more visual, has sort of where you can do more so sort of cinematic flourishes and uh, you know you, you get a little bit more elbow room to to leave your fingerprints on it um, mm-hmm.
0: well in ter- I mean in terms of getting a, a cast, it's interesting that your pitch for the next doctor was Cybermen in the Snow, and yet the title is of course the next Doctor so I guess you know the, the primary focus and all the pre-publicity was on one person David Morrissey you know? yes. so how long was that process to, to arrive at David Morrissey
1: that was a long process uh, the, a lot of actors were considered for that and a lot of actors um, uh, and it was a very circuitous process that sort of came round to David uh, and it was originally called The Other Doctor <laughs> where we shot it, it was called The Other Doctor um, um, which I feel is more honest. Um, I think the next Doctor... It was really exciting having that buzz about, is David Morsey really going to be... I kind of thought, if you're really under the skin of the show, you'll probably know that you won't be, you know? Um, but I felt the publicity blitz ran away with that. Um, and I was really... As I got closer to Christmas Day, I did have a feeling of, it's like, you order. Chinese takeaway and they deliver pizza. You know what I mean? I thought we're, we're promising the audience something that we're not going to deliver on. Um, it was, it, I think it was the first time that I, would be. It, it, it's, Torchwood was big and that was big and, you know, we used to sort of roam around Cardiff and we'd have, you know, um, we'd, we'd pitch up that location and there'd be gaggles of people waiting for us and fans and, you know, someone on the inside must have been haven't access to a call sheet, because I just don't know how they, they find out. And you're aware of this kind of groundswell of, of support and fandom. But, you know, with respect to Torchwood, it, it was, as nothing compared to Doctor Who. I mean, we shot in Gloucestershire, Gloucester we shot in. And it was Beatlemania. It really was Beatlemania. It was, we were, I mean, we, you know, David had to stand down from, David Tennant had to stand down from rehearsals just to sort of, let things calm down you know because we were rehearsing in the street and it was just there was security and but it's like that famous picture of the beatles with the you know the policeman with the bobby's hat falling off trying to hold back it it was kind of like that you know uh and you thought yeah okay <laughs> you know you, you it, it it sort of goes beyond working on a television drama you are kind of you're know, working on something that is a kind of cultural phenomenon i guess you are know, like something that is really surfing the zeitgeist at that time and it's just normally like you're working within your bubble be it a studio or a very contained location but here it was very kind of exposed it was very like kind of you know it was like some, doing some sort of street theatre <laughs> doctor who performance will entertain you now you know it's, um, but it was exciting but it was uh, you know it's almost, it's almost like it, 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 I suppose in a way it becomes technically on a practical level it's a victim of its own success because you know, you have to ADR so much because there's so many these people screaming and shouting and, you know, you, you know, all, all the third ADs and everybody's working so hard to kind of ask everyone to be quiet and, um, exciting though, you know, really re- exciting. You really feel just from that whole thing about having a dream of, oh, I'd love to be a director. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is, you know, you know, you've got crane shots and dollies and you've just got an entire town watching you. You know, it's kind of, it's like, you know, no pressure, you know, get it right. You
0: know. Well, in your particular Doctor, who has, has both of the disciplines that, you know, could divide a director's skill, in that some directors are very good at period drama, some directors, mm. directors are good at sort of futuristic high-tech, yeah. you've got Cybermen in the past, so you've got to juggle both of those.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I love that element of it, uh, and it had a sort of, you know, I mean, my favourite sequence in it is the scene in the graveyard, which ironically doesn't include the Doctor Um, because it's sort of, I don't know, there was something vaguely hammer horror about it, I guess.
0: And you cast Andre Morel's son, Jason, as the vicar, so very hammer horror.
1: Yeah, 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 and he got a round of applause at the read-through. It it was great, yeah. Um, So we had all that kind of sci-fi heritage. It was great. Um, Yeah, it's kind of... um, I mean, it was period, but it was, you know, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek period it was very chocolate box period mm-hmm. you know um, so it, it wasn't historically accurate to the letter you know it was very much a confection uh, and I think you know I remember the tone meeting Russell was very good at having these tone meetings before at the very beginning Samuel Torchwood if you have a tone meeting there would be like a buzzword or some some phrase that would be you know central to the whole thing I remember in his baritone voice just going Christmas dinner <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was right that, that, that my, my remit <laughs> you know, Christmas dinner. it was just like the whole thing. So which was just, you know, this is gonna be you know, uh, you know, the idea that Christmas dinner is just too much, it's more than you can gorge on and it's just it's it's sort of you look forward to it and it's just sort of it, it dazzles the taste buds and it's you know, but afterwards it's like <laughs> Yes. So this is gonna be cranked up to eleven. <laughs> You know, and it's and it you know, and it was just, you know which is what's wonderful about about those about working with Russell on those time meetings. There's no sort of you just <laughs> you just it's it is like the the, the most excited twelve year old child has just been given free reign and, and it is like we're gonna have a hundred foot giant yeah. steampunk. Yeah. That was Robot 11. <laughs> and it's just like over to you, and you can just feel like, you know, the, the, you know, the, sort of the people who control the budget. That you get a lot of sphincters sort of tightening. How are we going to do that? You know? And the VFX guys. And, and it's just, he just throws it out there. And
0: and how know. do you direct that? Because obviously you're, it's different directing actors in a set and things like that. You're suddenly directing something mm. abstract that's got to be created by somebody else.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, if I'm being honest, um, I, I, I've done so much effects over the years now. Um, it's all really interesting and, um, um, and it's sporadically exciting, but it can be quite a laborious process. Um, and the thing about it is, you know, you have to sort of, you're working as a team, but at the same time, you have to take a back seat a little bit and allow, you know, the experts to come in. Um, I feel sometimes it pulls me away from where I want to be, which is, the Eye of the Hurricane is all about the actors. And um, um, this is like this other sort of abstract thing. I mean, we shot everything that was storyboarded. And I think in the edit, um, it was felt that there weren't enough shots to really do it justice. So they added more VFX stuff in post. Um, and that's when, I suppose, the storytelling really becomes, you know, it's out of your hands then. It's it's kind of, it's more of a, a sort of... Um, executive, editorial kind of thing. Um, uh, but I think with those things, it's often the sound design that sells it, you know. Um, and with that, I mean, you had entire shots that were completely fabricated. There was mm. barely any sort of real, like, you know, we shot plates for a lot of the stuff. Um, it's it's a worry because it's... When you have those sort of crossovers where you have something that's purely VFX, then you have people reacting, you know, especially extras, you know, you, you just you worry about how it's going to hang together. You know? Yeah. It's that classic, like in those Johnny Wise and Mother Tarzans where they point and then there's some National Geographic footage of a <laughs> rhino. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> and the pattern of the picture is so different and it's just kind of, uh, so there's always that sort of fear. It's, uh, yeah, it's just marrying the two elements. But um, it was fun, blowing up bits of Gloucester and having, you know, people run up there. But it's, it's funny when you're making it, sometimes it does feel so, not cheap, but it's like, you can see the conceit, you know, mm-hmm. you can see it's, like I'm watching 14 extras run up and down in front of the lens screaming, you know, and, you know, we were sort of saying that this is the whole of London, you know, <laughs> um, so, uh, but it was great. My, my memories of that are, re- Durba and I thought it was great, I thought she was brilliant in it, a
0: lovely gimletized performance. Very, she's very studied, isn't oh, she? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. She's just poised and glacial, and she was great, I think she had fun with it. Um, I love just the whole thing of the, the red dress and the snow. Um, mm. Those elements were great. Cybermen, great. Uh, they're always one of my favourite monsters. I was, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of good. And I liked Victoriana, of it all. I thought, you know, yeah, Christmas Day, fine, great. You know. Um, but it was, you know, the thing that I remember being said to me at the time, which sums up my whole Doctor Who, which actually sums up for me the sort of, um, it's a very first world problem to have, but it's I think, you know, you get so involved in something that you get quite territorial about it when you direct it, you know, it's you want a sense of ownership on it, and you know, it's, but you've got to remember, it's kind of, someone said to me, they said, um, "What you got to remember is um, it's Russell's train set, but he's just letting you play with it for the day." You know, <laughs> and it's and you got to remember, and that's true. Actually, it's you've got to kind of learn. You know, your limitations, I guess, and and sort of learn. Um, you know, just be aware of the audience and the demographic. I'll give you an example. I mean. In, in, in the, in the scene, um, Andre Moran we were about, he, he fell to his knees before he was killed by the Cybermen, um, and he, um, he crushed himself before he died, which I thought was great. Um, well, so we were advised not to do it because it was seen, it could be seen as blasphemous and it's a family audience, audience and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just things like that you just have to sort of, um, be aware of and think about and, um. It's, it's funny, it's, it's, you know, it's all about, I suppose, you get so involved in it, it's like, who's, you know, you, you know, it's like, everyone has their own take on the Doctor, I guess, and, and okay. you know, and I grew up with John Pertory, and then Tom Baker, and so, <clears throat> I guess, I, you know, it, there's a tendency to sort of push to the darkness a bit if you can, you know, um, and it's just... You just have to balance that, you know. And I, I suppose I've just always been reminded, this is Christmas Day, this is you know, X number of million people are gonna watch this on Christmas Day. Many of them will be children. Um and it's 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 you have a responsibility and I think you have to, you know, you have to sort of put your own tastes and your own ego at the door and you have to sort of what's great the challenge is to sort of Sort of leave your fingerprints on it, but at the same time, you acknowledge in you know everything has its own audience. Everything has its own sort of end destination, and, and this the end destination was, you know, Christmas Day early evening. um, Yes, be gothic and dark, but within those boundaries, you know, which is harder because actually it's easier. Just it's not that difficult to, you know, you know, anyone can do violence, really. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's but, but it's how you, how how can you infer something? um, Without making everyone reach for the off, off switch,
0: you know. Especially because I guess there's a reason the Wizard of Oz is on every Christmas and the Exorcist isn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, look, I've I exceeded my time as I always do. So I, I I just um you've you've obviously the, the you've you've now got a, a a U.S. agent. You've directed tons of Downton Abbey, which is one of the biggest hits on television. So um, I guess the question is, if you're pitching for your next job and you're pitching to me you know what sort of television do you watch what sort of television have you admired and what sort of television would you like to be sort of pitching for or doing
1: um, oh, I just love any any drama film or television where there is just um, just a, a fantastic chemistry between two or more char- characters Life on Mars being a great example Breaking Bad being another one um, Things I've watched recently, I enjoyed Hannibal, um, the whole sort of reboot, the whole Hannibal Lecter thing, which on paper you think, well, that should never work, but I think they did some very interesting things with production design. Um, uh, You know, and I thought they did some stylish new things. Uh, I enjoyed shows like Nurse Jackie. I always keep an eye on shows I've worked on, you know, it's kind of, it's like sort of it's like the children you left behind, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, I always keep an eye on, you know, the odd Iron Downton and, 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 and Doctor Who as well. And it's kind of it's funny, you sort of, you're dipping in and out, you know. You kind of, um, I suppose some shows you're more sort of, and tortured as well. It was interesting seeing where that went. Um, yeah, I think sort of, uh, you know, actor-based shows. Um, I, 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 I I am sort of trying to sort of, wean myself a little bit away from the too many VFX heavy shows. Um, that said, I'd be happy to have Trap in the Tardis with Pierre Cabaldi, so, you know. But I think just good drama is good drama ultimately, you know. Just, uh, and I think, um, you know, I mean, the recent Day of the Doctor is a fine example. I just think it was just a wonders- wonderful celebration of old and new, Which I just think that triangle of Matt Smith, David Tennant, and John Hurt you know, that's what made it, I think everything else was gravy, I just think, you know, just the three of them in a room, you know, I'd watch it for hours, you know, and I just think that's, that's what kind of makes me respond, as, as a viewer, you know, but also as a director, I think, wow, that would be great, working with those three guys, just, you know, um, yeah, good writing, solid acting, um, that's what it's all about. The rest is window dressing. It is indeed,
0: it is indeed. Well look, thank you very much for your time, you've, you've given your time for a, for a cappuccino. That's all uh, right. Uh, so, uh, and the listeners haven't paid for this, so what's the charity that you would like them to donate to?
1: Um, I would like to donate to Christie's.
0: Fantastic, uh, and I'll do a link at the end. And uh, we're recording this, this will not go out until the following year, but we're recording this in the year of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary, in fact, just over a week after it. Um, so what's your message to the listening Doctor Who fans out there on this illustrious year?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, uh, no pressure. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, My message is... Oh, you've got me now. Um, I don't know. Can I leave an anecdote? What my yeah. favourite anecdote from uh, working on The Next Doctor. Uh, David Morrissey walked into the TARDIS for the very first time and was at the controls. And uh, David Tennant was showing him how to be a doctor and how to work it. And David Morrissey turned to me in the crew and he said... Can this take me back to 1985 when um, Ever- Everton beat Bayern Munich 3-1 at Goodison Park? And it's this idea about like, the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the TARDIS is to, you know, the TARDIS is to everyone what it wants to be. You know, like, like, like make, make you go. And I just love that kind of, um, that kind of. Uh, it was just lovely to sort of bring everything down to earth. You know, sort of, um, it's sci-fi, but you know, it's kind of. We've We've the
0: past. Yeah. Brilliant. Well uh Andy Goddard Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you very much, Toby. Cheers mate, thank you. Bless you.
0: That's brilliant. That was good. Andy's charity is Christie's not the auction house. It's a rather wonderful hospital in Manchester. And their website is ww.christy ch dot nhs dot uk that's christy uk please give whatever you can next up uh, I'm going to talk to a gentleman about all sorts of things including acting even though he's never acted in an episode of Doctor Who although he's been involved in a great many here's a sneak preview and that will be unleashed upon you imminently in the meantime have fun the end of the season uh I had Christmas
1: off, and then um, I was offered a stage manager job at Bolton, which was near Liverpool. So I thought I'd go back one night and wait for the BBC. And again, I said no. I mean, I, I, I've just done a season; where I played twenty-one out right of twenty-six dates, and being so it this time I don't want to play. And they said, no, 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 you won't be wanted. to do that? And so I think then I played. 22 out 23 weeks, <laughs> um, as well as being a stage major. Anyway, it was good fun, and Belton was a nice place. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures. Mannering
0: Caversham was, without doubt, the greatest lanternist of the Golden Age. He was also the only supernaturalist who was never exposed as a fraud or a trickster. (laughs) Cavisham conjured forth the demon he claimed had been pursuing him for years. Not a trick, but an actual demon. Hello. I bet you're not expecting us. Are you members of the Cavisham Society?
1: He is a shaman.
0: A showman, A lanternist, I'd say, from this
1: rather splendid equipment. Mr. Holman is the most respected and admired lanternist in the business. What the devil was that? The sound of death. Are you sure? What could have done this? Doctor, wait and listen. The glass is screaming. Doctor Who, the darkness of glass. I'm afraid you're rather stuck with us. Big Finish, we love stories.